Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada. A snowy Ontario, Canada for a change, uh, this time in April, with episode number 113 of The Yacking Show. This is a show for awakening you to new perspectives, and especially for the changing world we find ourselves in at the moment. A quick request, if you like our show, please subscribe to the channel you're listening or watching on. It helps our guests get more exposure, and that's important for our guests. We always have interesting guests for you. Today is no exception, but first let me introduce my uh, welcome, should I say, my co-host Kathleen Beauvais down in a snowy Waterloo. Hi Kathleen, how are you managing with the snow? Actually with us, Peter, um, it's all, all practically all gone. There's just, oh. Oh, just a dusting here and there, but for us it's pretty much all gone now. But uh, Thank you all so very much for tuning in to our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So do please keep them coming. And as Peter mentioned, we do have a special guest with us today. Her name is Alicia Butler-Pierre. She is from Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Alicia. How are you? Thank you so much, Kathleen and Peter. I am wonderful and, and very excited about being here with you all today. Now, you are the founder and CEO of Equilibria. It's a, you are a business infrastructure specialist. For our audience, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you trans transitioned from being a chemical engineer to a business consultant? And perhaps you can explain what a business infrastructure specialist is. Yes, like what what the heck is that, right? So my my career, as you mentioned, Kathleen, started off as in chemical engineering. So I was working in different chemical plants and oil refineries. And I, I knew very early on into, into my career that I did not want to spend the next 20 to 30 years of my life being in a plant or an oil refinery. And so something, something very pivotal happened to me when I was working as a young engineer. Whenever we, every single business unit, I'll, I'll take my first job, which was at Monsanto. I was actually mm -hmm. making Roundup. Oh, yes. If, if, for those who are familiar with Roundup. So many people don't realize this, but chemical engineers actually work as process engineers or design engineers. And I always found myself on the process engineering side. And what that means is, as we were making the raw ingredients or the raw materials that eventually make up Roundup, they have to meet a certain specification. And if, for example, you, you make a particular batch of one of these raw materials, and for whatever reason, it doesn't meet that specification, as the process engineer, I had to figure out what went wrong in the process of manufacturing or producing that particular batch to cause it to be off spec. So what happened is we had accountants assigned to every single business unit and they would come and have these monthly meetings with us, kind of to let us know how we were doing numbers wise. And I have to be honest with you, Peter and Kathleen, it was, it was as though they were speaking a different language. They may as well have been speaking Greek because they were talking about assets and liabilities and equity and you know, all these you know, ratios. And it, it just didn't make sense because I was an engineer and I, I didn't have a lot of business classes or business exposure at that point. So I decided to go back to business school. And so I was working full-time during the day 
as an engineer going to school late at night in business school. And it opened my eyes. I, I, I truly feel as though, and this is by no means an exaggeration, the rest of the world just opened up to me. I, I, I don't see anything the same anymore. I don't just walk into a store and just look for products. For example, I'm looking at the way things are arranged within the store. I'm looking at the logo, the color scheme, the uniforms of the employees. I'm, I'm looking, I'm taking it all in. Uh, and so after I, I finished up business school, again, I knew, I, I saw that as my way of transitioning, honestly, out of engineering. And to be honest with both of you, my dream job was actually to work at Coca-Cola. Really? Because, yes. <laughs> and as fate would have it, I decided to relocate to a city. So I was, I'm from Louisiana originally, which okay. is, a, you know, which was a French colony in the U.S. And so when I left New Orleans, I relocated to Atlanta, Georgia, where I literally knew one person at the time. But Coca-Cola happens to be headquartered here. Right. And I was right. like, oh, I had it all planned out. Okay, I have, <laughs> I have my engineering degree. I, I have this MBA. Who wouldn't want to hire me, right? It did not happen. <laughs> it did not happen. And, and after two months, it didn't take me long to say, okay, enough of this. After about two months of what seemed to be endless job searching, you know, that did not yield any fruitful results, I decided to redirect that same amount of time, effort, and energy that I was spending into looking for a job working for someone else. Mm -hmm. I redirected that time, effort, and energy into creating my own opportunity. And that's how I started my company. And to answer your question, Kathleen, getting that was a really roundabout way of getting ultimately to your question, what is a business infrastructure specialist? When I first started my company, believe it or not, it actually started as a professional organizing company. And here's what happened. Most of my clients were operating home-based businesses. So it wasn't they, that they had disorganized closets or garages or basements or anything like that. They had these home offices that were a mess because they didn't have systems and processes. And that's where I started leveraging and tapping into my engineering skills, mm -hmm. process engineering skills, and, and understanding, okay, it's not that these people are chronically disorganized. They certainly are, are not hoarders by any stretch of the imagination. They just need some, some really good systems and processes in place. And once those are in place, they can follow it and things won't appear to be so chaotic. Eventually, I stopped, it, it, it shifted from working inside of people's home offices and more into actual brick and mortar type businesses. And that's when the language shifted from professional organizing to business infrastructure. Ah, okay. That's how we got to, <laughs> that's how we got to business infrastructure. <laughs> right, right. I got to ask you, <clears throat> You went to a strange city, Atlanta. You knew one person. You spent a lot of time on interviews, which didn't work. And then you started a business, which reading your website has now become very successful. You did all that only knowing one person in that city. So, so how did you get going? Oh, that is such a great question, Peter. And thank you for asking that. The power of networking. I must ah. tell you and everyone who's listening, it cannot be underestimated. Right. I cannot 
talk about networking enough. I literally went to an office depot. I bought one of those Avery business card template packs mm -hmm. where you can, you know, you purchase it and, and then you take it to your desk jet printer and you make up your own business cards. And you can print them right there on the spot. That's what I did. Really cheesy, nothing fancy at all. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start this company. This is what I'm going to name it. I'm going to call myself a professional organizer, put an address and a phone number on there. And I just started looking up different events that I could attend. So I would go to different chamber of commerce events. Mm -hmm. I, I would try to go to events where I thought my target audience might mm -hmm. be. And literally uh, all it took is meeting one person and then that person introduces you to someone else. And then that person introduces you to, to another person. Mm -hmm. But I did a considerable amount of bartering, believe it or not, when I first started because I was trying to build the brand. I was trying to build a name not only for my company, but for myself as well, because I, no one really knew me here. Right. And so I, I would say, you know what, Peter, if I come and, and help you get some things better organized and situated in your home office, in exchange, would you mind writing a testimonial for me that I can then include on my company's website? And is it okay with you if I take some before and after pictures that I can use to build up a portfolio? And that's that's how I started things off. And now it's funny because we're, we're migrating to a new, a new uh, customer relationship management software. And one of my assistants, she was asking me, so how many contacts do you think you have, Alicia? And I said, she was like, you know, is it like around a thousand, two thousand? I said, no, it's like fifteen thousand. Wow. Maybe? Yes. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Excellent. And that's a great tip. The networking, I, I, I agree with you 100%, Alicia. It's as an entrepreneur, that's exactly what you need to be doing mm -hmm. in order to gain more connections. But sorry, Peter, you had another question. No, and I'm going to add to that. Uh, you'll hear from my accent. I'm not a, a native North American. I've been, <laughs> I lived in Africa for most of my life. I came here in 2004. And uh, I knew one person here, which was my son, who'd moved a few years earlier. Oh, wow. So I had no school contacts, university contacts, military service contacts, business contacts, sporting contacts. That was the biggest single problem I faced coming to a new country and a new continent was not not having any contacts to start a business again. So yeah, I hear what you're saying. It, it's so important. What I, what I wanted to ask you was in, in on your website, you say that shortage of money is not the number one reason why businesses fail. And this intrigues me because I, I agree with you 100% and I've seen it in action. I can find many examples, but most people don't believe that. They think shortage of money is the big problem. So tell our audience more why, why you found that. <laughs> so what I mean when I say that, it, I'm, I'm usually, when I, when I talk about that, it's usually in the context of a fast-growing company. Mm -hmm. So those are companies that are in a different situation. There is high demand for what, whatever their goods and services are. And if they don't have the operational structure, if they don't have that business infrastructure that includes the right people, the right processes and the right tools and technologies, the business can and will ultimately fail. Mm -hmm. Because as that demand starts to grow, the way that you deliver that product or that good or service must be consistent. And we all know 
anytime there's a, a drop in the quality, anytime there's a major change that customers or clients are not anticipating or expecting, it can be detrimental to the health right. of your company. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean when I say money isn't always, and, and some people might read that and think, well, of course it has to be money. No, it's, you can have companies that are making a lot of money yet can still fail. Yeah, yeah, no, good point. Well, well explained, yeah, back to Kathleen. You also say, Alicia, that um, operations isn't sexy and therefore <laughs> a lot of businesses ignore it. Can you? Can you explain that? Yes. So there's this ever ending, never ending, I should say, battle between marketing and operations. And most, most of us, we spend a good bit of our time on the marketing side, yes. the customer facing side, the things that people actually see. So the branding, your logo, your YouTube channel, your social media presence, your website, Operations, operations are the things that are taking place behind closed doors, behind the proverbial curtain, underneath the proverbial hood. It's not what customers or clients actually see, but it's what they experience. And operations gets into the nitty gritty details. And most people do describe it as quote unquote, not being sexy because it's literally making sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed. And for true entrepreneurs who are big visionary, big picture thinkers, that drives them insane. <laughs> but we all know it's important to have those operational procedures and processes and systems in place, especially if your company is, is audited especially if your company has to meet certain regulations. Peter, I, I remember reading over your bio about some experiences that you had in Zimbabwe with, with mm -hmm. your farm. So there, there are all of these government regulations that we have to adhere to. And all it takes is for you to not be able to produce the right documentation or to not be able to prove that certain things are in place. And again, your business can be shut down. So sure. operations isn't... It isn't on the, the forefront, I would say, of every small business owner's mind, but it certainly is something that deserves deserves everyone's attention, in my opinion. No, you, you're right. And I, we, we had a, a guest a couple of months back whose uh, business is called, her, her podcast is called The Messy Back End, which sounds terrible. Oh, but, and, and she was I saying exactly, exactly <laughs> what you're saying, that so many people, small businesses, entrepreneurs are good on the marketing, spend all their time on it, and they ignore the back end, which gets messy. Exactly what yes. you're saying. Operations, yeah. Very good. Now, tell, us, tell our audience about your book, because I, I believe it was the first book that was published on business infrastructure for the small business and became a bestseller. So, yeah, tell us more yes. about our audience about that. So, it's called Behind the Facade, and ah. the, subtitle, <laughs> the subtitle is How to Structure Company Operations for Sustainable Success. And you can't miss it because it has a green cover. <laughs> but so many people think that there's a lion on the front of cover because I, I do make a reference to the Wizard of Oz at some uh, point at the very beginning of the, the book, but that's actually not why there's a lion on the book. The lion represents the constellation Leo and Leo, 
is, has been assigned the attribute of being the show off like, ta-da, here I am, everybody. I'm front and center stage. The spotlight is on me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in front of the curtain. I'm the marketing that we just talked about. Right, but if right. you flip the book over to the back end behind the curtain, there's a little cup there. So the, yeah. <laughs> the, idea, the idea of the book is to not only educate people or small business owners and entrepreneurs on what business infrastructure is, but it is a true how-to book. And I tell exactly how to create business infrastructure using a framework that I created through the use of story. So there's nine chapters in total seven of those nine chapters actually involve stories mm -hmm. of different entrepreneurs who have different, very different types of businesses, but they all have one challenge in common, and that is fast, uncontrollable growth. And they meet a consultant who tells them how to start applying principles of business infrastructure to solve that particular problem or okay. challenge. Oh, very good. A good way of, do, of putting it. Excellent. Kathleen. So you also say to beware of terms like metric mania, the Peter principle, <laughs> shiny object syndrome, because these can lead to analysis paralysis. Can you yes. first explain what these terms are <laughs> and what you mean? Sure. So the first one was metric mania, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So what I mean by metric mania is, first of all, just being able to convince people the importance of, of measuring their performance as it relates to these different processes that they're putting in place. Some people, once they're convinced, they, they can almost go overboard and you measure, you, you might end up measuring the wrong things. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by metric mania. You just... I've seen some people's dashboards where it's just, oh my gosh, there's so many numbers on it that you you can't make heads or tails of what's really going on with your company. For example, what, let's let's just talk about accounting or finance related metrics. What are the top three to four metrics that if you had to put fit everything onto one, let's say eight and a half by 11 size sheet of paper, what are those metrics that are truly going to paint a picture of what's going on inside of your company? And nine times out of 10, all of those other metrics that you might think you need to measure, those, I think those are helpful when you're trying to do maybe some investigation. Like why is it that we notice over the past three months, this particular thing in our company is actually starting to trend downward and that's not a good thing. Hmm, let's go take a deeper dive and do some investigation. And then you can start to look into those other metrics. But mm -hmm. trying to measure too many things at the same time, consistently month after month, that's what I mean by metric mania. Mm -hmm. Shiny object syndrome. <laughs> this is a favorite that I like to talk about. I don't know about you all. I, I don't consider myself an early adopter when it comes to most technologies. I don't know about you all, but, but many people are. So they're always going out. They're the, the people camping outside of the Apple store whenever the next version of the iPhone comes out. But what I mean by shiny object syndrome is it's, it's enticing these different technologies. Ooh, it can streamline this. Ooh, that can automate this for me. 
yes, sign me up. And we start to invest in these technologies without first understanding how is this going to work? How can I leverage this in my day-to-day operations, number one? And number two, is it truly going to make things easier for me and my, and my team? I, there have been so many clients that I've worked with. They may invest in a new technology because these salespeople, they're amazing at what they do and they sell you on the dream. And next thing you know, you may be entering the same data into two to three different systems. And those systems don't communicate with each other. So now rather than streamlining something, something that let's say may have before taken 15 to 20 minutes to complete may now actually take you an hour because you have these multiple systems that need that same data but they don't integrate with each other. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say beware of of shiny object syndrome. Make sure you really analyze any technology that you're about to purchase. Make sure you you understand whether or not it truly will enhance what you're already doing. And if it's just going to create even more work, it's not something you want to invest in. And the Peter principle, (laughs) that comes from a book by the same name. Yeah. The Peter Principle by Dr. Lawrence Peter, I believe his name is. I think so. Yeah, a long time yes. ago when I read it. Yeah. Yes, yes. It came, I think the book was first published in the late 60s. Yeah. But it's it still holds true to today. And the Peter Principle basically warns us as business owners and business leaders to, to be very careful about who we promote. So the Peter principle literally says every person is promoted to their highest level of incompetence. And what he, <laughs> what he's getting at is oftentimes we can equate, we can make the mistake of equating years of experience with a managerial position or a director position. Oh, well, Kathleen has 25 years of experience in communications. So surely she should be promoted as director of communications within our company. But does Kathleen have the true managerial skill set, the true leadership skill set that's needed to lead a team of people? She may be great at her craft, but she may not have that additional skill set that's needed to truly function at a higher level within your company. So that's what the Peter Principle warns Mm -hmm. us about. And combined, not paying attention to those three factors, the metric mania, the Peter principle, as well as the shiny object syndrome can get us to a point where we have so much information that we're trying to analyze and process that we do nothing. It it paralyzes us. So that's what I'm getting at when I say analysis paralysis, (laughs) that you have so much data. Yeah, you spend so much time collecting data and trying to review it. And you'll never, you will never know everything there is to know about anything. So, so, so forget that, right? But educate yourself enough and trust in yourself enough to be able to get the information that you need, make a decision very quickly and stand by your decision. Very good. And, and I've got to add that the, the, the two of those are, are very obvious in large corporations, metric mania and the Peter principle. <laughs> the shiny object syndrome is, is a problem at the higher levels where we don't have budget constraints, but at the middle management level where you've got to justify budgets, it's not quite such a problem. But certainly in my brief period in the large corporate world, I experienced the first two. <laughs> <laughs> and they spend a lot of money. 
I'm talking millions of dollars Mm -hmm. only to find, you know what, this really doesn't give us what we need. You also talk about, um, you are able to help companies increase their capacity to do more and get better results without necessarily increasing their assets or or their employees. Um, Talk a bit about that, Alicia. Well, that, that boils down to process again. Mm-hmm. And, and selecting the right technology. So if we, again, look at business infrastructure, people, process, and tools and technologies, you eventually will need more people. Of course. But oftentimes, oftentimes, you can increase capacity just by streamlining your process. And, and oftentimes, streamlining a process goes hand in hand with selecting the right technologies. I'll give you a great example. For those people who are listening right now, if you are a service provider and you don't, let's say you might bill your client once services have are rendered, but before those services are rendered, you're just waiting. You, you have no cash flow coming in at all. And it might take you a month or longer to actually deliver that service. Well, what if you collected a deposit? What if you changed your process to where you actually collect a 50% deposit upfront? Now you have some money coming in. Now you have a little bit more wiggle room. Mm-hmm. And then rather than you, you know, I, it, it amazes me. I still know people where they, they only accept checks as forms of payment. They refuse to do any type of electronic payment wow. system it, it blow it it boggles my mind <laughs> and i and i understand sometimes most most of them is, is for security reasons but it's it's um it's still very interesting because it slows them down mm. it's mm. just yet more paperwork literally paper that you have to process yeah and there's something sorry can i jump in mm-hmm. you know oh, what sure, else it is it's more it's more man hours or women hours per transaction because yes. you could have clerical staff spending quite a lot of time processing all the stages of accepting a check and taking it to the yes. bank right yes so and even you know if we put ourselves on the on the customer side i there's there's a vendor that i work with right now she will only accept checks as a form of payment so when I'm traveling, I have to now remind myself, oh, I need to take a blank check with me and pack it with me because she's, she's not going to allow me to pay through PayPal or Stripe or, or Square or one of those other services mm-hmm. that are, that's, that's out there. Mm-hmm. Whereas with all of my other vendors, I don't miss a beat when I'm traveling, mm-hmm. whether it's my, you know, mm-hmm. a, a credit card, payment that I have to make or whatever, whatever other service that I, I need to pay for, even products, I can do everything online, mm-hmm. most more often than not through my phone. So that's, that's a really good example, I think, of how you can first analyze the sequencing of the way you're doing things in your process and then figuring out, okay, how can I layer on certain technologies that are out there that are either free or very low cost that can completely streamline the way that I'm doing something as simple as collecting payment sure. for my for, sure. for services. And then once you get to a point where 
you have so much business coming in and, and the demand is just not tapering off, then you can start looking at that people aspect where you, mm -hmm. you start introducing people to the processes that you've already built. Good. Uh, good advice. <laughs> I'm curious, has, has the COVID situation impacted your business? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, indeed it has. And it's, it accelerated. And I know everyone went through some, some very, some type of digital transformation, mm -hmm. but it accelerated things that we already had in the works. Everything just, it, it just magnified everything. It also mm -hmm. exposed where we needed to upgrade certain technologies. Mm -hmm. For example, something like Zoom. I had a free account with Zoom for years. Yep. All of a sudden, you know what? Free isn't going to cut it anymore, Alicia. You've got to start paying for this. That started happening with everything because now everything was being done online. I was spending longer, longer periods of time on Zoom. I, we had to upgrade to Dropbox for business. So a regular Dropbox account no was no longer sufficient. It just required upgrading almost literally, and this is not an exaggeration, almost every single technology that we had in place required an upgrade. And it was very, very unpleasant yep. because technology is great when it works. Yes. But when it doesn't, <laughs> it's a beast. Right. And you can easily spend hours, if not days, working with people trying to troubleshoot things. So thank goodness we've gotten most of that behind us. But it was it was a real challenge. I have to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For us too, we Zoom was a prime example. We were coasting along quite happily on free Zoom, and then we started doing this. We said, "Wow, it's no longer good enough." <laughs> I, I got a question. For, we're getting towards the end of our time, but I've got a question that um, I like to put to all our successful business people, especially consultants and coaches and advisors like yourself. So with your, you've had a lot of experience in, in, many, in different fields and with different small and large businesses now. So in your, in your experience, what's the most important characteristic that separates the small businessman, entrepreneur, even um, career-minded managerial person from the, the successful, from those who, who are not so successful? Is there one key element? Yes, which is a little unfair, Peter, to, to distill it down to one. But, but if I had to choose one, I would, I would say consistency. And I know some of your other podcast guests have said that, but, but it really is true. Mm -hmm. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll use my, my personal story as an example with my podcast. I've been podcasting now for close to three years. And as you know, for those who are listening, if you, if you don't know, podcasting is a lot of work, especially when you do it, you know, the way Peter and Kathleen are doing mm -hmm. it, where they have a website and, and there's, it's not just getting on a Zoom call and pressing record. There's so much more that goes on behind the scenes. Again, those op the operational details. And I said, okay, it has to be consistent. If I'm saying this is going to be a weekly show, no matter what, I need to, pre I need to have a podcast go live every single week. And I must tell you, there, there were days when I just didn't feel like it. I didn't want to. I was wondering, is anybody out there even listening? Does anybody even care? And then 
I, I heard someone on another podcast say, you know, when you get to your 100th episode, there's something magical that seems to happen. All of a sudden you get onto the radar and it's, I've, I've found something very similar to be true. And so my podcast happened to get onto the radar of HubSpot, the, the, mm. the company that has the, yep. the CRM platform. Mm -hmm. And it's now become a part of their, their new podcasting network. So Excellent. here I've, thank you, thank you. So for those who are listening, I hope this serves as motivation and inspiration because sometimes you put things out there into the universe online and you might not receive any type of engagement, but I guarantee you, it doesn't mean that no one's seeing it. It doesn't mean that no one is listening or watching. They are, they just may not comment, but trust me, they are watching you. And it's only a matter of time before you get that unexpected phone call or email uh, with, with great news about doing something on a really big scale. And, and I absolutely agree with you in, in yeah. terms of consistency. And, you know, there were times where Peter and I would look at each other and say, oh, you know, do we continue? And, and we, we love doing this, by the way. It was so mm -hmm. much fun for us to do this. But I think you're right. It's just pressing on perseverance, consistency. And we do, we release two shows a week. It takes wow. five hours to produce wow. these videos. Yeah. Right, Peter? And, well, and you would know start because to finish all the back end. <laughs> yeah, start to finish is five hours. Yeah. If wow. we take all, the video, audio, the whole deal and publicizing it on social media, we, we allocate five hours between us, five hours per, per episode. So it's 10 hours a week. Wow. So I, uh, I agree with you, but uh, I think we are out of time, Alicia. We are. Uh, my goodness, I think we could go on for yet another <laughs> another half hour or two. <laughs> I would certainly love to, but the, we've got to ask you, how can our audience get hold of you? Yes. The, the best way is through my personal website, which is okay. aliciabutlerpierre.com. So that's A-L-I-C-I-A-B-U-T-L-E-R-P-I-E-R-R-E.com. And when you get there, you'll see links to all of my social media profiles, as well as links to the book, the podcast, as well as my consulting company. And you're available for new business? I'm always available for business, wow, for new business. I thought you would be, but we want to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Oh, no, I don't turn new business away. <laughs> Lovely talking to you, Alicia. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, thank so you much. Both. You've been an absolute delight, Alicia. Thank you. And thank you all so much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you. And as I said before, we love reading your comments. So do please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. So until next time, bye-bye, everyone.